But for those of you that want to know what love looks like, last weekend I went to Dutch Wonderland with my wife and my two kids, and I went on the Tilda World, or the Turtle World, you know that one that spins around like crazy? Well, I got on with my daughter on the first ride. We get on, the whole time going around, we don't spin once. The thing just stays right where it's at. I'm, I'm looking at my daughter and looking at my wife. What's going on? She goes, I get off. My wife said, go ahead, try it again. So we get on, we do a different car. Still doesn't spin. We're like, what is going on? And, and this time my son went, because he's like, if it's not going to spin, I'm going. So then my wife says, well, why don't you try a third time? So we get in line and we get on again. And, and we're, as we're sitting there, I see my wife going like this. And there's music and I, and I hear my... My son, you know, jabbering in my ear. And I'm like, what? Honey, I can't understand you. What are you saying? She goes, your weight's the problem. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So when, when your significant other can tell you your weight's the problem, you've arrived. You've made it. Well, like I said, I'm going to be preaching in the word here today. And if you have your Bibles out, we're going to be turning to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And while you're turning there... I want to remind those of you, or tell you, those of you that haven't been with us, Pastor Aaron started this series on our core values, on our culture of honor and uh, outward focus. Now, I want you to go ahead and watch a video here and see what's coming up. So these are our six core values, and that's our core values here as a church, but we felt that they were so significant uh, because how many of us know, like, our, our core values are great. They're, they're attitudes and they're our behaviors, but they come out of what we believe. We believe that these core values really should uh, talk about the culture of the kingdom of God. Now, culture, that's really just the collective attitudes and behaviors of a group of people. So you guys coming in here and being a group of people, collectively, all together, we build a culture. That's why as a nation, we have a culture. That's why as a people group, other nations have different kinds of cultures, but they base it out of a, out of a foundation. So just know, as we share, these are attitudes and these are behaviors and these are things that we believe that we should, we should have as an outward flow of what we believe, of what we believe. And today, I want to talk to you guys about battle mediocrity. Battle mediocrity. Now, I'm going to put up a definition here of what we call battling mediocrity. We turn from minimal expectations and chase excellence in everything we do. Everything we do, we chase excellence. You know, those of you that have been with us a couple weeks here at least, um, maybe you didn't notice, but we put seven more lights up on there. Hmm, I heard people go, huh, I didn't, I didn't know that. No, you didn't, because we, we, we chase excellence. We, we decided, you know what, there's something that we need to do. And we didn't do that for me, for my complexion. I don't need more olive skin. Um, we did that because there are people that are watching right now on Facebook. There are people that are watching this service, and as we reviewed what we see on Facebook, we realized that we needed to change, change some things and make it a little bit more clear. The other thing that it did is it opened the altars more. If you go back and you look, the, the light was sitting about here and about here. But we, fa we feel that the altars are a significant place. And we need to open them as wide as possible so that people can meet Jesus here in these moments. So there, there's reason why we do these things. We, we chase excellence. I drove up on the church today and I noticed that somebody had weeded. Somebody had weeded. We didn't ask somebody to weed the church. They just came and they did it. That's a perfect example of somebody who chases excellence. Now, with chasing excellence, um, 
mediocrity itself basically means just being good enough. You know, just so-so, just blah, ordinary, kind of the, those, those phrases that, that eh, just middle, middle ground there. But we have a passionate commitment to excellence. Nobody goes into their favorite restaurant and, or tells somebody, hey, this is my favorite restaurant. This place is awesome. Well, tell me what's so good about it. Well, the service, eh, it's okay. The food could be better, you know? But we, we believe that we are serving the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are serving the good news of Jesus. You don't put a, a, a thick, healthy steak, right? A filet mignon, or maybe you're, you're the lobster tail type. You know, you like the lobster tail? You don't get it served. You want a paper plate? That's just not how we serve that. And we believe with our passionate commitment to excellence that we should be serving the gospel in the best way that we can. In the best way that we can. And we look for continuous improvement. You know, the goal is not to make it good. The goal is to make it better. The goal is to make it better. You know, in thinking about preaching this message, I have to take a look at my life and look and say, are there things that could get better? Maybe you're in a position right now where, you know, does, does life get better? I can promise you it can. God's word says that. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He doesn't want you living a mediocre life. He wants you to win at life. And I think a lot of times we just kind of get to a point in life where we say, that's good enough. You know, I made it. Maybe it's a mediocre job. Maybe you'd say you have a mediocre marriage. Maybe it's a mediocre relationship with your kids. Maybe for you, it's mediocre praise. Mediocre worship. God wants more for you than that. In Colossians, this is really our theme verse for this. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That says, whatever you do, everything. That's all areas of our life. Now, that can be really tough now just to think, wow, there's a lot of areas of my life. But I want you to just think about one. When I said the word mediocre, when I said we got to battle mediocrity, all of us, all of us can at least pick out one area of our lives that we could step it up a little bit. We could do a little better. Because like I said, the goal isn't to make it good. How's my marriage? It's good. I want, to, I want to be like, no, my marriage is great. I love my wife and she loves me. We have an awesome house, a beautiful family. Like, you, you, you wouldn't be too enthusiastic if you heard me say that. Down in Colossians 3.23, which is just a couple verses down, it says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You know, sandwiched right in the middle of those two verses are different areas of our life. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. It even says, slaves, obey your masters. Some of us are like, that's what it feels like at work. <laughs> I mean, he's legitimately talking to slaves, to slaves. Now, if we want to battle something, you have to have a battle strategy, right? You have to it, you take that area of your life, and you have to say, you know what? I need a strategy. I need a way to battle this stuff. So there's three ways 
Three ways that I want to show you. If you're, if you're a note taker, I would write these down. Three ways that I want to share with you that, that you personally, personally, because yes, we do this as a church, but we believe these are something that we, we walk to personally. Three ways. The first one, live wholeheartedly. You know, I shared out of the book of Colossians, but the book of Ephesians actually was wrote, written after that, and it mirrors the book of Colossians. Because the Apostle Paul realized, he heard word that, that there's some bigger issues going on within that region. So he wrote the book of Ephesians to speak to a broader audience. And so, and he kind of hones in a little bit. And then in the similar section where they're talking about house, home, and, and work, in Ephesians 6, 7, he says this, serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people. And the New Living Translation actually says, work with Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. You know that word enthusiasm is actually made up of two Greek words. It says entheos, siasmos. Entheos actually means possessed or inspired by God. So when you look at that area of your life, would you say that I've got enthusiasm? I mean, I, I work at it with all my heart. I, I'm, I'm inspired by God to do this well. That's what enthusiasm is. When we look at that area of our life where we need to battle mediocrity, we need to look at it wholeheartedly. Now, the reason why I have you opening up your Bibles, we're going to 1 Samuel 16, because I want to look at the life of David, King David. A lot of us, even if you didn't grow up in the church, have heard about David and Goliath. David and Goliath. But I want to take some snapshot looks at his, at his life and really just take a look. And the reason why I want to look at him is because in the Bible it says, David was a man after God's own heart. It's actually God that testified to that. This is a man after my own heart. And then right after that, it says, and I know that he will do what I want him to do. It says that he'll do everything I want him to do. So th there's a behavioral aspect to that. And if, if you look at 1 Samuel 16, we, we open up and, and in that area of scripture, we're finding out that David is about to be anointed as king. So Samuel comes and, and he comes to the house of Jesse. Jesse was David's dad. And they, um, he comes in and, and Jesse just starts bringing out all of his sons, one by one, oldest to youngest. And, and they're good looking, strapping guys. And, and Samuel begins to go one to the next, to the next. He's like, no, not you. No, not you. And at one point the Lord speaks to Samuel and says, people look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. And he goes through all these sons and he's like, it's none of these. You sure you don't have another son? Well, I do have David. David, he's, he's out in the field with the sheep. We'll call him in. So he calls him in and David gets to be anointed as the next king. But he doesn't become king right away. And we look in 1 Samuel 16 and we go down to verse 24. Actually, verse 17, I'm sorry, verse 17. Now, who was king is Saul. Now, Saul had the hand of God being lifted off of him. And he was being tormented by evil spirits. And he needed, he needed somebody to play music. He's like, I just want to find somebody who would play music for me so that these evil spirits go away. And Saul says this in verse 17. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. 
He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. You know what amazes me about that verse? He didn't ask him for all that. He just asked for a guy that plays well. <laughs> he's like, well, this, this guy, David, he, he, not only does he play well, but he's brave. He's a warrior. He speaks well. You know what? And he's a fine-looking man. And all the girls said, amen. <laughs> no, but he's a fine-looking man. You know what that tells me? That every single area of his life, David does it with enthusiasm. He does it wholeheartedly. He looks at every area of the life, his life that everybody sees. You know what? He speaks well. I bet he wouldn't have been chosen for that position had he not played well, had he not spoken well. Suddenly he finds himself in, in Saul's presence and, and he plays well. He plays well. So then we, we move on down and we see, uh, we get down to where they're in battle, right? And in this instance, David is actually going, uh, going to feed or give food to his brothers who are on the front lines of this battle. And when he gets there, he sees this huge Philistine out there, Goliath, and he's pounding his chest and, and cursing down Israel and, and telling him, hey, send out your best person to fight me. And if you beat me, then you've beat us all. And David overhears this, and what is going on out here? And he's asking around about this, and, and everybody tells him, you know what? And, and the king Saul says, you... Whoever, whoever beats this guy, I'll give my daughter's hand in marriage and you'll have your tax exempt for the rest of your life. Now, I heard all the guys go amen to that part, right? So David's like, really? And then he hears him talking, talking about his God. And David's like, are you guys seriously okay with this? You're all right with him defiling our God? He's like, I'll go to battle. Everybody says, nah, you can't go. You're too young. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He's been a warrior from his youth. So then verse 34. 1 Samuel 17, verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it. And rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Now, you guys probably heard me go into 1 Samuel, those of you that may have been church, in church for some time and thought, is he really going to preach on David? I mean, I have heard that so many times. And let me tell you, that was my pushback too. That was my pushback from preaching about this. But how many of us know that the Word of God can speak to us where we're at at any moment? I can open this up and I can see it again and see it with fresh eyes because of my fresh perspective on what I'm going through. So before you count out any of these circumstances, remember that God is still speaking. God is still speaking. And he wants to make us better through his word. So we look that he says, I fought the lion and I fought the bear. I wonder, did anybody ever know that before? 
Like all of a sudden now he's telling us that he fought this lion and fought the bear. You know what? You got to be wholehearted behind the scenes. You got to be wholehearted from every single area of your life. And, and you know what David said? This Philistine, I can drop him. I went after a lion. I went after a bear. You know what mediocre would be? Just one sheep. I don't feel like going after that lion. How many of us would really chase down a lion to get the sheep back? This was his job. This is what he was meant to do. How many of us sit there? It's just one sheep. The bear. Then another one comes. Uh, just two. Two sheep. I had 100. Down to 98. 98 out of 100. That's pretty good, right? No. He was wholehearted. I wonder how many of us in our jobs were that way. Like, eh. You know, I was pulled up to a drive-thru uh, the other day. And I pull up and I hear the intercom go, <laughs> I said, uh, what? I said, I'm sorry. I said, I can't really understand. What do you want to eat? She says, mm. half of me want to be like nothing from you guys. I don't know what's going back on back in that kitchen. But it's almost like she left half of her heart in her car. It's like she left half of herself and, and I'm dealing with the other half. <laughs> but that's what it looks like to, to not be working as though it's for the Lord. Working as though it's for the Lord. And I know we can say that. You know, I, I went to college and uh, went to University of Maryland. I have a four-year degree from there. And when I came out of college, I was going to work for a year and then go to medical school. And so... I thought, you know what, I better get in the medical field. Well, my first position was as a physical therapist technician. Physical therapist technician. And so I thought, yes, all right, this is a stepping stone. This is where, what I need to do. And one week later, no joke, you can ask my family, Maureen, you can probably attest to this. I get home after my first week and I'm like crying, like in tears. 21-year-old man, in tears. And I just said, Mom, this is not right. This is, she goes, what's wrong? I said, I fold laundry all day. I said, I put laundry in, I take laundry out, I fold laundry, and then I go and I do the rest of the laundry. I'm not even working with people yet. And I was crying about this, literally crying. But I had this awesome boss, great Christian man, Chris Boslow. And he told me, now he's a regional vice president for the company, but, but he told me, no, you, you gotta work at it with all your heart. You, you be the best at folding that you can be, and I did. Hands down, you can ask anybody, maybe they're watching on Facebook, in that clinic, I was the best towel folder there ever was. There ever was, I was the best at it. People would come in and they would comment about my towel folding abilities, because I was just that good. Hey, whether it's linens or lions, right? You do it right. You do it right. What's awesome about that, though, is as I worked my way up in the company, I became a compliance officer. I had a region of 33 clinics in seven different states, and as a compliance officer, as an auditor, they don't like seeing me come in the door, <laughs> right? When I'd show up to the clinic, it's like, quick, put everything away, and they'd shove all, all the mediocre stuff under the cabinets, right? Well, <laughs> you're right, Dalton. <laughs> um, so they shove everything under the cabinets, but you know what I would do right when I first walk in there? I would go over and I would fold laundry with them. I would fold laundry and I would show them how to do it right. Man, did that just break down walls, break down barriers. 
How, how would I have ever known that something so little, to, to him, to David, that was just little for him. That was, that's my job. That's what I do. But what he was doing in his job was preparing him for this moment. It was preparing him for that moment. I think when we think that things are mediocre, ah, it's a mediocre job. It's because we're not wholehearted. We got half of our bodies hanging out in the car and the other half isn't at work. That's just, that's just how important it is. When we battle mediocrity, we have to be wholehearted. Now, I want to go down. Now, what happens is Saul tries to fit him with his armor. Saul tries to fit him with his, his armor and says, well, if you're going to go to battle, you better armor up. So he puts all this armor on and David's walking and he can barely carry the sword and he's got all this stuff hanging off his body and he's walking around. He says this, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. I want to show you a picture of pastor wearing the wrong armor. <laughs> this was when our friend Ron was in the hospital uh, for back surgery and we went in there to, to pray for him. But I, I, we can laugh about this, but how many of us are wearing the, trying to wear the wrong armor? You know, thank God, I, I couldn't even get my glove on, thank goodness. They didn't put me in the operating room, right? But you know what? We were on the same battlefield. We were on the same battlefield. Except we, myself and Pastor Aaron, prepared by getting in the word of God and by praying for him. Those doctors, they, they prepared for this moment, for this battle. Now, we look on Facebook and we see all these other people that are doing things and we put these expectations on our lives that God never really meant for you. We have to be excellent with what he's given us. We have to be excellent with what he's given us. Sure, we can point at somebody else and point at them and be like, ah, they need to do this, they need to do that. Or we look on Facebook and it looks like everybody's highlight reel is on there. Like, they get to do that and they get to do that. They have to be excellent with what they have. I have to be excellent with what I have. That's why I don't take this opportunity lightly to preach the word of God. I don't go into my office for, a, for an hour and then say, hey, good enough, and then get up to preach. No, I, I stayed up even late last night re-looking re through all this, saying, like, what, what, God, what do you want to say? What do you want to say? We prepare for those opportunities. Now, I'm going to read you the next couple verses here. It says, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul. Because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Verse 40 in 1 Samuel 17. Then he took his staff in his hand. So what he had. He chose five smooth stones from the stream. Put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in hand, approached the Philistine. And then we get the awesome story. He runs in the battle. They're running towards each other. He slings the stone. Smacks him so hard in the head that it says it sunk into his head. Killed him on the spot. And he dropped how many of us love that? But why did he choose five stones? Why five? I went through all kinds of commentaries. I've studied this over and over. And some Bible scholars believe that, that Goliath had four, uh, four brothers and that he, he, needed to, he was making sure that, hey, if, if those four brothers come out, I got to knock them down too. <laughs> but let me give you the Chris Merrill commentary. He, he says, he picks up five stones. Here's what he's thinking. I'm not perfect. 
David was a man like any other. He was an imperfect man. I think he had to pick him up because he said, I'm not sure how many it's going to take. There's a verse. Now, now that's, I'm speaking to the perfectionists in the room. And I'm one of those. <laughs> Perfectionist in the room who's got paralysis by analysis, right? You're afraid to do anything because you're afraid you won't do it right. There's a verse that I heard preached that just, um, just sinks into my soul. And every time I hear it, it, it just gets me. It's Proverbs 21, 31. It says this, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. We have to prepare for battle, but we got to take off the control and give it to him. We're so worried about everything being in line, everything perfect, but that we never move anywhere, that we never actually do anything. David picked up five stones because he realized that I'm not perfect. It may take one or two or three of these things. I'm pretty good. I've been practicing. I've hit, I hit um, a tree that was about that far, and then I hit a tree that was about that far. I hit one that far. But when I got a little farther, it took me three or four times before I hit that. So he thought, you know what? I, I'm, I I'm going to prepare my horse for battle, but the victory lies with the Lord. That's for all those perfections out of it. Write that down. <laughs> Keep that. Because seriously, when, when I first looked at that verse and heard that preached one time, uh, it just like felt like a burden came off of my shoulders. You know, we're, we're calling for excellence, not perfection. Perfection's a, a destination. Excellence is a direction. We're chasing excellence. We're going in a direction. The goal isn't to make it good. The goal is to get it better. So David defeats Goliath. Well, I want you to turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And before we get there, I want to tell you the second, the second thing. So number one, live wholeheartedly. Every area of your life, live it wholeheartedly. Put your all into it. The second thing is live with urgency. Live with urgency. My wife is still through the process of battling breast cancer. And man, when, when mortality is hanging in the balance, sure makes you think about things, doesn't it? Sure makes you realize what's important. Helps you to prioritize and to posture yourself and relook at your life. And why, do, why do we wait? Why do we wait for that moment? You know, it wasn't until my mom passed away that I really started questioning eternity and wondering what that looked like. At the beginning, I talked to you and I told you that these are our core values, but, but they're based out of what we believe. One of our four cardinal doctrines, four absolute musts that we have to understand and believe is that Jesus is coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for his church. And the word says that we don't know when. We don't know when, but we have to be ready. We have to be ready. So as Christians, we really should live a life of urgency, realizing that it could be at any moment. It could be at any moment. There's more than 300 times in the New Testament he talks about, it talks about Jesus' second coming. We call it the blessed hope because we look forward to that day as the people of God. 300 times, that's one every 26 verses. It must be an important thing if we see it that much in the word of God. Mark 13, 32. I just want to share this little story. Now, this is Jesus sharing this. He 
He's talking about the last days. He says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each assigned to his task and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. It says be on guard, be alert. You know, I shouldn't have to wait for the last days that I have with my wife to prioritize some things. I think about, about the fact of being on your toes. You know, growing up, I played soccer. I know it doesn't look like it now, but, but I played soccer growing up. And something we were always taught was to be on your toes. Even if you were on defense, you had to be on your toes. Even if you were moving backwards, you were on your toes. You were leaning forward and leaning in. And as an offensive player, I loved when I caught somebody on their heels. Loved it. That's what the enemy likes to do. He loves that moment. When he catches you sitting back on your heels, when you're not living a life of urgency, you know, some of you came into the church today and you came to praise and I watched you. Some of you left half your spirit out in the car. But even when we come to praise, I mean, your posture tells you a lot about how you feel, doesn't it? I mean, some people sitting this way, people just laid back right? But if you're on your toes, if you're ready, if you're urgent, and you prioritize things, I mean, if he's coming back, if he could be here at any moment, that means that I better get busy. <laughs> I better get busy. Now, we've been looking at Samuel's life, but in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we see kind of not so good part of his life. He lost his urgency. Chapter 11, verse 1, in the spring, at the time when kings go off the war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. I'll let you read the rest of what happens there because suddenly we see adultery, murder, deception. This was, this was a man after God's own heart. You know what happened? He was supposed to be battling mediocrity. He was supposed to be in the battle. He was never supposed to be at home. He was caught on his heels. He was off of his toes. God doesn't want us to be on our heels. The enemy would love for you to just be on your, you know, sitting back and saying, eh, good enough. Eh, my marriage is good enough. Eh, my house is good enough. He, he doesn't want us feeling that way. And that's what David did when in the biggest screw up of his life. When he should have been battling mediocrity, he should have been out there on the front lines with his guys, but he sent somebody else to do it. Why do we wait? There's somebody to call us off the bench and in the game. You know, some of the, one of the biggest things that, that, that gets me is when I hear people, um, and now, now hear me the way I say this, when people say that they're waiting on God, but they use it as an excuse. 
waiting on God for my job to get better, waiting on God to heal the relationship with my kids. I'm, I'm waiting on God to do this or to do that. Sometimes God wants us to activate his will. Sometimes God wants us to just step out and get in the game. I didn't know when I was folding linens that I was getting ready for what I was going to do. I had no idea I was going to be here. <laughs> I had to get in the game. We got, we got to, I mean, there, it is important to wait on God, but waiting on God doesn't mean being still. It means still doing what he's called us to do. Doing what he's called us to do. Now, that, that's urgency, Right? You know, the Apostle Paul talks about this, and, and I look at the early church and I realize that no wonder they lived with such intensity and such a vibrant church. And we all look back at the book of Acts and be like, wow, that's the church we want, the one that was on fire, the one Pastor Aaron just shared from, Acts 2. That was the church that was on fire. They were moving. Things were happening. You know why? They expected at any moment that Jesus would come back. In the book of Acts, we see that the, those guys are standing there and they watch, they watch Jesus ascend into heaven. And two angels are there and they say, what are you standing here for? You, you got things to do. The, the way he went up, that's the way he's coming back. And the church is standing, and, and they, that shot them on a course to spreading the gospel throughout the world, battling mediocrity in every area, saying, hey, there's an area in your life, Jesus wants to do a work. There's an area in your life, Jesus wants to do a work. The Apostle Paul now in battle mediocrity, if you noticed in our video, it had somebody boxing. The Apostle Paul talks about running the race, running the race that's been marked out for us. And he says, I, I run in a way that, that I can win the prize. I can win the prize. But what he says is I, I'm not like somebody running aimlessly, running all around the place. And that, that's a busybody. Just run all over the place. And, no, he, he said like a boxer. Like a boxer, I, I put up my gloves. I'm, I'm very specific about my target, about what I hit and what I do. Because it's so important that, that with that urgency, we need to prioritize what's important in our life. In my circumstance, man, does that really like hone you in to what God wants you to do? When you look at those priorities. When you look at those priorities. But the third thing I want to share with you Live with lion chasers. <laughs> Got some looks there. What are you talking about? Live with lion chasers. I want to take you to 2 Samuel 23. Like I said, we're just taking a couple snapshot looks at, at David's life. And number one, live wholeheartedly. Put your entire heart. Don't just do half of it. Do the whole thing. Number two, live with urgency. Number three, live with lion chasers. You know, David chased after the lion, tore the sheep out of its mouth, struck it, killed it, battled mediocrity. Look at the guys he hangs around with. In this section of scripture, starting in verse 8 of 23, we, we read about David's mighty warriors. And maybe in your Bible, that's what it says. That's the heading there. David's mighty warriors. Let me just tell you, if you want a good action movie, read this. This is better than any action movie I have ever seen. These are guys that battled mediocrity. The first guy, you know, when they go through the list of names and everything, it says, these are the names of David's mighty warriors. And then he says a name, 
But it's almost like he can't help himself. I got to talk about these guys. Like he was really just about to just name everybody, but he's like, the first guy, you know what he did? He took a spear and he went up against 800 men by himself. I have never seen that in a movie. I've never seen that. Battling mediocrity. Another guy, the whole army turns away and runs away, but you know what he did? He postured himself and he turned toward the fight. He wasn't caught back on his heels and running backwards. He's like, are you kidding me? The Lord wants us to fight this. And he goes after it. And they beat the enemy. And he stood side by side with David. I want to read to you the one, though, verse 20. This guy, Benaiah. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into the pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Got ourselves another lion killer. You know what David did? He put him in charge of his bodyguard. And that's a guy I want around me. I want him close. Your best future is waiting in your deepest relationships. That's your best future. He he wants you to, to dig in and do it with people. We shared about the life group material. I mean, you have got to have people around you that are chasing excellence. You gotta be around those people. And all of us have seen you know, the, the intercom at the drive-thru. You know, there, there's nothing that, that was in me that was like, I really want to hang out with her. You know? No, it was, it's the fact that in my walk right now, I need people around me that are willing to chase the lion down and kill it. Those are the people I look up to. Those are the people I look after. That's why we talk about culture of honor. That's why I look up to the generation before me and realize the incredible exploits. That's what they call it here. The exploits that they've done for the Lord. I want those people around me. People that will build me up, that will encourage me, that will push me in a direction, that will make me say, sometimes they're going to have to point it out to me and say, you know what, this area of your life, Chris, it's getting, it's getting mediocre. It's kind of messed up. You're not doing what you were called to do. You're on your heels, Chris. Got to watch out. I need people in my life that will do that. I need that. And you need that too. I want to read to you though, right before that section. It's in verse 13. During harvest time, three of the 30 chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam. While a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim, at, the, at that time, David was in the stronghold. And the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. He's remembering back to the the good old days saying, oh, that water was the best. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem and carried it back to David. Wow. Those are some lion chasers. David says, oh, if, if only I could just get a drink. Mm, That water was so good. That was all he had to say. And the lion chasers that were around him said, you know what, we'll do that. And they went after it. They broke through the entire army. Three guys broke through the army, got a drink from the well, brought it back to David. 
Talk about serving wholeheartedly. Talk about serving with urgency. <laughs> you know? Those guys, they didn't, they didn't sit on their heels at all. They were all in. But then, we see David. They carried it back to David, but he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Poured it out before the Lord. I don't know about you, but I look at me like, for real? You kidding me? I just fought an army for you for that water she just put on the ground David says far be it from me Lord to do this he said is it not the blood of men who went at risk of their lives and David would not drink it I don't read anywhere that those guys left after that they stayed with David they were still his mighty warriors no, but I think that's the problem because I feel that way too. I, did all, I do all this, Lord, and it's a waste. God, I, I did all this for you. It's a waste. See, the problem is the value isn't found in what we do. It's in who it's for. He did it for their king. Care less how he wants to use it or what he wants to do with it. They did it all for their king. And then they kept fighting the battle. Now, I wanted to do an illustration with Pastor where he would walk back and get me a bottle of water and pour it out. Just to get your reaction to see what you would do. But we have a, we chase excellence. I don't want to mess up the, I don't want to mess up the podium. But how many of us are putting all the value in what we're doing? Now, if, that, if, that, if, if the value was in what I did in, in, in doing linens, folding laundry, if that, if that was my, if that's what I put my value in, I wasn't realizing who I was doing it for. Now, I, I want you just to think about that a second. I mean, let, let this sink in. We... We battle mediocrity and we chase excellence and we do all these things and, and this really is a behavioral thing. We can pray. God wants us to move too. When we chase excellence in all these areas of our lives and we put it before the Lord, one day, one day it's all going to be poured out. It's all an offering. It's all a sacrifice. Our entire lives are a stewardship test. I want him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've done this with this little. I have so much more for you. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 5.15. It says, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. A couple verses earlier, it says that Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. There should be nothing else compelling you because then you're putting the value on that other thing, but it's, it's Christ's love that compels me to move forward. It's Christ's love that 
that helps me realize, you know what, I've got to put my entire heart into this because it's for Him. You know what, I've got to, I've got to work on this with some urgency. I better get on my toes because He's coming back and it's for Him. You know what, I've got to get some people around me. I've got to get some people around me that are willing to call me up that are going to chase some lions with me that we can battle mediocrity, that I can look at these areas of my life and say, no more. I'm going all in because it's, it's for him. Notice I said he died for all. He died for all of us. Not just me up here on a platform sharing from the word of God. He died for you. He died for you. Maybe some of you are sitting here and going, yeah, but that's, that's David's man. Yeah, but that's David. He was anointed to be king. No. Remember, David was the one that was left out. David was the one off doing sheep herding. He wasn't going to be the king. Well, look at the mighty men that he had around him. I mean, man must be nice. No. No. In the word, it actually says... And the word, it actually says that these, these were people that were in distress, in debt, discontented. This was the cave of Abdul. They were in a cave. They were hiding. People were after them. So don't think they had it easy. But there's somebody that we're doing all this for. There's somebody that we get up every day, we go to our job, we battle that mediocrity. Maybe it's your marriage. There's this area of my life. I got to battle mediocrity. You know what? I am not going to stay on the bench anymore. I'm going all in. Maybe, maybe it's a priority. You know, when my wife got diagnosed, there's a lot of people that started reaching out to us again. What, what goes through my mind is like, where were, where were you before? Where, where were you before? Something jolted them. Suddenly they had priority. Suddenly they realized that there, there's some important things here. Whether, whether it was great memories we had or whether it was bad memories we had, there was something that suddenly prioritized everything. But the great thing about God is he will reach into your cave. He's poured it all out for you. He values you. And he'll pull you out. Sometimes we need to get up and battle. We've got to activate our faith. We have to activate our faith. I want to pray for you here today at the close of this service. Um, now I realize that there are some of you that haven't opened up your Bible in a long time and haven't read a story like this. There are some of you that, <clears throat> that haven't really come to the realization that he died for you. He died for you. He poured out everything. He poured out his blood for you. On that cross is where he was torn open. He had the nails shoved through his hands. He didn't just have one hand. 
didn't have half of them up there on the cross. It was the whole thing that he poured out for you. He died for all. So that those of us that live would live with purpose. You know, he created you on purpose. He created you for purpose. But he also created you to live with purpose. To battle. To say that good enough isn't good enough. I'm moving deeper. I'm moving farther. Would you bow your head with me here today? Lord God, we just come to you and Lord, we just bring up whatever area of our lives that was on our hearts during this message and we lay it before your altar, God. It's an offering. It's a sacrifice. It's, a, it, it's for you. God, we put it in your hands. But Lord, we're going to go at it wholeheartedly. Lord, we're going to live with urgency, with a posture of praise, a posture of worship, a posture of faith. Lord, we're going to go at it with those that are around us here that are willing to lift us up. God, we trust you. And that's what we have to do with these circumstances. And we trust you. We, we have to move. So we're going to prepare the horse for battle. But Lord, you will bring the victory. You will bring the victory. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Would you stand here with